0: Welcome back, race fans. This is the second edition of the Canoe Race World podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Olson, joined by my co-host, Bill Mahaffey. And in Canoe Race World podcast, we are covering everything in the world of marathon canoe racing, from race recaps to paddler interviews to tips and tricks with your training and any changes in New Trends in Marathon Canoe Racing. Before we get started with our episode, I'd like to do a quick shout out to our sponsors, GRB Newman's Designs and Zavril Racing Equipment. They help support us so we can bring you guys more content. So we uh, highly ask that if you are in the market for a new boat or paddles to check those guys out. Um, they're all—they're both great guys, uh, you know, Bob Zavril, Ryan Zavril, and Gene and John Newman. Uh, so yeah, so I, I really appreciate if you guys uh, check them out. We got a
1: pretty uh, jam-packed episode here today, Bill, don't we? Yes, we do. We've got a lot going on today. Uh, quick rundown on the episode and what you're. Have in store. Uh, we have a very special guest today. We have Rebecca Davis, president of the United States Canoe Association. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to pick her brain a little bit. Praize her and the other elite paddlers from uh, the rest of the pack. Uh, a couple of race recaps. I on tap. I think Kevin. Right. Yep. Yeah. We're
0: uh, we we're going to be recapping the USCA Nationals. Um, Rebecca's uh, was there and. Uh, did did quite well so uh she's gonna help us uh break down that race and then uh that was last weekend and then uh this weekend there was uh the wells bridge race um so i'm gonna help you guys with that and then there was also the so ultimate paddle race Back here we had the yeah. uh the
1: sue Stan the sue ultimate yeah. paddle yeah um and then we've got mayo coming up yes yeah, so we'll weekend. do a little here, race
0: bre- uh preview with that and uh you know, so that will be good. And then we're going to get into just, a, you know, an interview with Rebecca and of uh, her goings on. So um, why don't we get right into it? So a- USA, uh, USCA Nationals, this year it was held in Warren, PA. And um, we're going to go through the breakdown of the top three of the, main races otherwise we'd be here forever because uh, nationals has a lot of different races that they run in divisions so um, we're just going to try to give you guys a quick recap on it and then uh, we're, gonna have, um, uh, we're going to have uh, we're going to ask Rebecca a little bit more about the race so so Bill you want to give us a
1: rundown on those uh, the C1 results Absolutely. So, in the C1 class at nationals, we had uh, in the men's side of things, Mike Davis, overall champion, followed by Calvin Hassel and Greg Lowry. On the women's side of things, we had Rebecca Davis, followed by Pam Fitzgerald and Beth Schluter. Nice. Um yep. in, the C2, C2 in the C2, in the C2
0: women, again, it was Rebecca Davis, and Joanne only uh, took the top spot in the women's category uh, followed by Joanna Falloon and Pam Fitzgerald and in third place uh, Karen Simpson and uh, Liz Schluter in the C2 men's division was uh, Mike Davis and Dana Henry uh, followed by Calvin Hassel and Bill Taranjo and third place was my uh, old paddling partner Michael Freeze and Paul Only.
1: So then we had a, a C2 mixed class where the Davis is teamed up, win the overall mixed title, followed by uh, Dwayne Olney and Calvin Hassel and uh, Melissa Swazlowski and Greg Lowring. Uh, those were our results. That's uh,
0: something mixed. that is pretty uh, – if you look at that mixed result with Rebecca and Mike, uh, um, and she might be able to give us a little bit more of a backdrop on this, but that was third place overall. Now they're not on the same day. So um water conditions can vary, but you know, that's still a heck of a heck of a good time, <laughs> you know, uh with with everything being considered. So uh with that, welcome to the show, Rebecca. How are we doing this morning?
2: Hey guys, uh we're doing pretty good here. A little bit tired. We've had a big racing block the last few weeks. But yeah. Uh, it feels good to get kind of back into the swing of things.
0: Yeah, yeah. You seem to be. You seem to race. Uh, if there are, you know, about thirty weekends of racing, it seems like you race about twenty-nine of them. Am I correct on that? <laughs>
2: Yeah, we tend to tend to like racing quite a bit, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've covered a lot of ground this year. <laughs> so, uh, but it's all fun. If it's not fun, you, you don't do it. You take a little break, but still having fun right now.
0: Right, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So, um, tell us a little bit about nationals. How were the conditions like? What um, what was the you know the course like? Because that was one thing that. Um, Trying to look at, see what the course map was and everything early on uh, was a little bit of a struggle, so didn't really know what the course was going to be like, so break that down for us a little bit.
2: All right, so uh, Warren, Pennsylvania has hosted the USCA Nationals, I believe, six times over the last 20 years. Uh, They really like having us, I think it's their tourism board, is just trying to get new people in the area. And it's not really a big tourist destination there, but I will say uh, you're kind of in the foothills uh, kind of the Allegheny. Um, I guess mountains, hills, I'm not sure what you call them, but it's really beautiful on the Allegheny River. Uh, we start below the, uh, I believe it's Kindua Dam, and go downstream probably seven or eight miles total, but we have some laps in there. Uh, most of the course is kind of a flat section followed by a little faster water, maybe even a rapid. Um, Water depth changes a lot. Uh, So one of the challenges of the race is getting your boat set up to handle some deeper water sections and then also some pretty aggressive shallow, uh, constantly making changes. Um, I think the biggest challenge on the course would be what they call flame rapids. Mm-hmm. i'm not sure what the classification would be but um this year it was pretty gnarly and there's definitely chest high or maybe even a little higher waves in the in the gut of it uh so that can be a little intimidating for uh newer paddlers but plenty of seasoned paddlers go over in that too
0: yeah that's so one, that's something i noticed uh seeing the the photos on facebook and everything after it looked like that was uh um in photos for ever anyone that, you know, doesn't paddle normally through this type of water, photos almost never do the water justice, like in general. No,
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, they're pretty high. And especially it seemed like, it's, uh, the first two days of the marathon events, Friday and Saturday, the water level, uh, is controlled by dam release.
1: Mm-hmm. So the
2: releases were a little bit off timing wise for the race, which, uh... um, in yeah in the case of uh this course it makes it very shallow leading into the flame rapids so you can only go down the center of the channel uh when they get the water level a little better a little bit higher you can kind of skirt to the outside uh Mm -hmm. which we were able to do on sunday i was really thankful because i was in my c1 that day
0: yeah yeah um so now there was another kind of a unique uh aspect to this so From my understanding is that you had to wear uh, uh, a PFD for the start of the race. Can you explain that to to us
1: a little bit?
2: Yes. So in the Kinsua Dam is owned by the Army Corps of Engineers, at least from what I understand. And they kind of make the rules on that section of river that they own. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's not the standard Coast Guard rules. And they require that we wear life jackets there due to undertow. Um, coming from a, you know, paddler's perspective, it seems completely unnecessary because we're, we start actually probably a quarter mile or more, uh, below the dam. And, uh, right. you know, so it's kind of odd for people traveling in after you get past their kind of land boundary, you can take your, your life jacket off. Um, it was pretty cool at the race. Like the temperatures were pretty cool. So most people kept theirs on, but. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, it is kind of frustrating for people traveling, especially the Michigan group. Uh, We're not used to having to wear life jackets since Michigan life jacket laws aren't as strict as other States. And, uh, that always causes a few people to kind of wonder, why is that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds like there's a good reason though. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's one of those things you can't change, so you just kind of have to go with it.
0: Right. That's, that. I'd like to, to bring up a point on the, the PFD issue is uh, we always follow the guidelines that have been out. So like in New York, how it is is you have to wear a life vest up to May 1st, and I believe it's after November 1st. So um, and you're you always required to have a PFD in the boat accessible. And a safety whistle, so a peeless whistle in the boat, so uh for, I get this all the time from people that don't know anything uh about paddling, and they're always like, "Well, shouldn't you be wearing a life vest?" and I always tell them if if the conditions require us to wear a life vest, we will mo- most certainly wear one um so- but we follow the guidelines that are based on the laws of the governing state or body of water. So uh, I think a lot of people, there's a, like in New York, I don't know how it is it, over in Michigan, but there's a fair amount of uh, drownings from recreational paddlers that aren't, um, they're not skilled enough to be not wearing a, a PFD or they're uh, doing other things that would, rec- that would take their focus off the water. So it's just something that I, I would like to mention, that we as competitive paddlers are very uh, cognizant of our own safety, and it's actually a very, very safe uh, environment when you're paddling competitively.
2: Yeah, I will say, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me about life jacket issues and safety on the water, and I think the biggest misconception is that when you put a life jacket on, you are all automatically safe Mm -hmm. and a life jacket's an excellent tool to you know help preserve your safety it's going to help you if you're in a situation where you you know you fall out and you're you need to stay buoyant but at the same time if you
0: yes if you
2: are uh, in conditions that are well above your experience level that life jacket's not going to save you if the water is too cold and you go in, that life jacket may not save you. It may keep you to, at the surface, but it's not going to prevent hypothermia. Right. If you're in a situation where you can't self bail your boat and it fills up with water, that life jacket isn't going to save your boat and you might be floating for who knows how long. So there's a lot of other safety uh, considerations that we need to make as paddlers. And I do think in our marathon king racing, most people are pretty cognizant of some of those other tools they can use, like. Uh, you know, wearing a wetsuit if it's too cold. Making sure they can bail their boat out if you know it fills up with water in in the deep. Uh, being comfortable, not panicking, like where they can swim to shore, um, and all of that kind of comes into the into the circle of of boater safety.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now um back to we just got a little ta- a little side tangent but <laughs> it's all good. So back to um Nationals. It looks like so I helped run Nationals last year and I think we had a pretty darn good turnout. It kind of looked like the um participation was down this year. Um can you uh talk on that Rebecca and uh have any you know um opinions on why that might be or
2: Yeah. I think there's a a couple of reasons why our attendance was down a little bit this year. Uh, one, it always helps when a paddler or a paddling organization puts on nationals, it just kind of gets that word of mouth is a little bit better. And and people always want to go to last year. Uh, I'll say, you know, Phil and the New York crew, um, they always want to go to their race or when Peter Heed puts it on, Mm -hmm. uh, Warren's put on by a chamber of commerce. So it it doesn't have those personal connections.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: second, uh, I think there were a couple of events that maybe conflicted with us a little bit. The ACA decided to schedule their sprint nationals right over the top of our nationals, which took some of the uh, the competitors from uh, Washington, D.C. and uh, New York City. Their their canoe clubs didn't come, which they were interested in coming. Uh, we tried to make our schedules align, but sometimes the ACA changes what they want to do last minute, and we can't really adjust. Right. Um, the there's also the Dragon Boat uh, Worlds are in Thailand this year, and that was a destination that a lot of the paddlers. There's actually quite a few um, paddlers that are in Thailand right I was now. Say yes, shout yeah. out to all them, <laughs> exactly. So, so I think that pulled us down a little bit, also. But you kind of you know, with a uh, traveling event, there's going to be big years and small years just based on location.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> It's still, still pretty awesome, though, to think that you have a Chamber of Commerce that wants to be that involved with the sport of canoe racing, right? That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah,
2: it's actually Warren, uh, from an organizational standpoint, does a great job putting on their nationals. Uh, I think part of it is they've done it so many times, they've got kind of the bugs worked out, um, and they, they do take a lot of feedback from the paddlers. I uh, It definitely... Helps that they've been around a little bit, and the community is super inviting.
0: That's that's, uh, that's a that's that's good to know. That's something that you know uh, us that haven't traveled there uh, that did not know. So that's good that that you brought that up.
1: Yeah. real real quick before we move on to the next topic was there any big surprises any uh eye openers anything like that about the uh, nationals this year
2: uh one of the things that flew a little under the radar maybe in the results is uh there was uh some new designs that uh john at savage river had raced and tested at the nationals and uh i think the one that uh stuck out to me was in the c2 mixed race greg lowry and melissa Swazlowski raced a uh, prototype design and actually i mean i knew they were a good team but they were giving uh calvin and joe a run for their money for most of the race and uh that surprised me a little bit um so i actually i got to bring that boat home and have been testing it out this week uh so I don't know. I think, <laughs> yeah, I, are,
1: are, are you, are you going to, I got to ask, are you going to have the boat at Mayo? <laughs> I don't know if we're going to
2: it to Mayo or not, but I did race it at the Sioux this weekend. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun to see some new, uh, new design work going on. I know grass rivers definitely got some going on too. Mm-hmm. Um, new builder in, uh, Saskatchewan, uh, kissing me. I believe I said that right. Canoes, um, building some boats. And I think there's even a, a guy in Michigan that's starting to get. Uh, started up with some boat design and, and building so that's kind of exciting up and coming things uh, in the sport
0: yeah for sure for sure
1: yeah, interesting good to hear um, yeah, for sure.
0: all right so let's move on let's let's go to um, the races that happened this weekend we will start off with Wells Bridge so uh, Wells Bridge is for those of uh, you that don't know is right on the General Clinton course it's about uh six hours uh into the clinton course and they uh used to have this race uh back when i started getting serious uh about paddling in like 2014 2015 and then they dropped off for a couple years and then it's been picked back up by phoebe reese and she did uh she's doing a great job with this race actually has a pretty cool format so how the format is is it's uh Um, a two race format so the morning is a c2 race and then the afternoon is a shorter c1 race and then there is the so the um they give you all the results for both of those races but then they tally the combined and do uh um it's a uh combined team score for who's going to be the overall winner of it so um it it's, makes it so there's a little bit more strategy in it because you got to have you know for your team you got to have someone that's um not only a good uh c2 paddler but also a good c1 paddler so um with that in the c2 race uh, uh phoebe reese and trevor lefevre were the fastest boat overall, followed by myself and Matt Palmer. And then third place, it was kind of like a tie. They, they, they called it a tie of, of Jeff Schultes and Pat Madden and Steve Miller and Ted Kenyon. And then when we go to the C1 race, it was um, Trevor Lefever knocked out Patrick Madden. And uh, they kind of were together the whole entire time. And then uh, I came in third with a time of uh, 49-25. And then Steve Miller and Ted Kenyon tried to work together to pull me back um, because they were um, close enough in the overall to – Uh, really tried to take the the overall title, and they came in uh, about a minute behind me. And then my partner, Matt Palmer, came in about 45 seconds um, behind them. So it just worked out that uh, me and Matt were able to win the overall title. And then uh, Steve Miller and Ted Kenyon took second place in that. And uh, Trevor and Phoebe took third place overall. Um, I think that may have been a little it been even closer of a race if Trevor A went all out, he didn't go all out. So um, he just kind of uh, in the C1 race, I got a good start. Patrick got a good start and so we' were out together and Trevor was behind us and then he pulled up and then by that time we're like 15 minutes into the race, so then he just, stayed with patrick the whole time whereas and if he tried to gun it he probably would have put at least another minute on us and then phoebe tipped in the c1 so that (laughs) took her time down so yeah so so if you take the combo of (laughs) if they both went hard and you know trevor went hard and phoebe didn't tip uh it could have been even closer of of a race so that's why i like that race format um, so it was really fun race. The water levels were good. Uh, it rained here on like Friday, so everyone that's normally paddling Wells Bridge, they're like, "Oh, it looked nothing like it did earlier in the week because the water rise so much." So, um, so that helped equalize it for people that don't paddle that stretch of river um, every day, like a lot of them do. But um, so yeah, so that was a lot of fun. So.
1: Yeah, no, it sounds like a really fun event, so it does. And that's uh that that's racing, you know. Sometimes you get those asterisks that do <laughs> happen to the best of us. Yep, for sure. <sighs> So yeah, we had a we had a race here in Michigan this weekend too, the uh Sioux Ultimate Paddle race. Um and I'm actually going to turn the mic over to Rebecca for the basic race results. Um, because I was not there. Shame on me. But yeah, go ahead, Rebecca. Give us a just a quick rundown of the C one and the C2 results. All right.
2: So the Sioux Ultimate Paddle or SUP Race is what the organiza- organizing committee calls it. Um they we have a C2 race in the morning and then a C one in the afternoon. Uh, for our C2 race, uh, Danny Medina and Pete Meade won. Second place was Nick Walton and Russ Rieker. And third place was Mike Davis and Carson Burmeister. Um, yeah. Nice. And then for the C1 race, uh, Mike Davis took the title. Danny Medina or Danny Paddle was second. And I believe...
1: Yeah. I was, I was a bridesmaid, never a <laughs> <Yeah>. bride. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I believe Pete Meade was third. So unless nice. I have that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's right.
0: Danny's just got to see. Dan, you guys, uh, guys got to go do a vacation. So Mike's not racing. So then Danny can win. <laughs>
2: <laughs> actually, actually, uh, the probably the biggest C1 race in Michigan this year uh, was the Muskegon River Throwdown in June. Uh-huh. And Mike and I were at Shane McDowell's wedding, so Danny took the title on that and uh he was pretty pumped about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but those those of us are like, Hey, should we put an asterisk next to that result? Like Danny Paddle, asterisk <laughs> champion, MRTD.
2: <laughs> no, no, you you can only race the people that show up. So you just, you know, you take what you can get.
0: But yeah. he is uh Danny is one of those guys that's been coming up really hard, really fast, and uh I think we got a lot more, uh, uh, to see out of him in the future. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure.
2: Yeah. He's really, uh, he's really come up. Uh, he he started paddling when he was 14 and his first two marathons, he didn't finish, um, but he got close and, and he tried really, really hard to get there. And, uh, just, you know, some people would get discouraged by that, but Danny just decided to work harder, train smarter, uh, get the best partner he could and has really just, uh, stayed humble, but kept moving up. So it's really, it's really fun to see someone working hard and having it work out.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, for those of us out of Michigan, can you guys explain the difference between like the expert one and the expert two? Cause I see that a lot of times when I'm looking at the results out there.
2: Yeah. So expert one is our main racing class. Uh, Michigan, we, we pretty much, we only are racing, uh, marathon canoes at our races. And then, uh, the expert two was developed kind of to replace our amateur class. Um, we're, every race in the Michigan circuit is paid. Uh, we have a, a, minimum prize money requirement and, uh, the amateur never got the turnout because it wasn't paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we developed expert two, it just has a small purse of money for it, but it's a separate starting line. And, uh, the, the reasoning behind that is to get people who are a little newer, maybe you're intimidated by starting in a field of 30 or 40 boats To start maybe on a a smaller starting line of maybe three or four, um, and kind of get that experience, but not, not feel like they're, uh, they're a secondary part of the race. Ah,
0: gotcha. Yeah. That's pretty smart. Pretty smart. We don't, in, in New York, we usually just don't, we don't have, uh, we don't have a turnout in a lot of the races, uh to even uh consider that type of uh um but we're always willing to have new people at the races and if you have questions uh come up to any of us we're all very uh very helpful and want want to encourage people to get started in the sport so
2: yeah and i think i think the new york races, at least the one i've been to you do have some different like shorter distances and different starts so if oh, someone yeah. didn't necessarily want to get in the pro field right away, they have avenues to do that. Where in Michigan, it's pretty much you race pro and that's it. So right, yeah. that can be a little intimidating.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's something that's definitely big in New York is like the stock class and stuff. And uh, I've even uh, I've even thrown out like, ah, uh, what if a couple of pro teams just did like the 70 in the stock class? Just to... You know, kind of uh, you know, elevate the stock class and just show people that they're racing boats too. They're so the stock boats are basically a, I would call them like a hybrid in between um, the you know the three by twenty sevens and uh, a, like a Coleman canoe. So they're racing canoes, but they're wider, uh, they're more stable and uh they turn you don't have to lean them down to turn them and uh so they're they're pretty fun to paddle um but you know that's something that you, you don't got you guys don't have a stock class out in michigan so
2: no we don't but we also kind of have this other i guess you'd call it association um it's a group of paddlers uh that that do more kind of adventure type racing. And a lot of that racing is all stock. They do it's most of it's ultra distance yep. um, and, and they race stock canoes and we got, we have some overlap. Uh, so we'll have, uh, the campus to coast is is one of their big events that they compete in every year. It goes mm. from the Michigan state campus to uh Lake Michigan mm. and we'll have some crossover there. Nick Walton did that this year. Um, Connie Cannon's done it a number of times. Uh, Mike and Bob Bradford have, have done it before. And a few of our, we have a few other teams that kind of cross over into marathon from that group. So yep. that we do have a little bit of stock going on, but it's in a, a different setting.
0: Yeah. That's uh, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause like the stock boats, that's one of the, I think when they created them, one of the things they were looking for is, uh, you know, something that could be used for, uh, a, a tripper and also be raced. So, um, that's why I think they do, they you know, they pair so well with those, uh, you know, ultra endurance races that are, you know, multiple days and you got to bring your camping, you know, you got to bring extra yeah. gear and stuff like that. Cause they have, they have bigger load yep. potential than, uh, you know, a three by 27.
2: Oh, for sure. I I've padded a three by 27 with some gear in it and it's horrible um but you get out we have a nice stock boat and and it's actually really fun you still feel like you can race even though you're carrying a little bit of stuff
1: yeah so yeah, yeah. hey give us a, a quick rundown on the event looks like there's some different things going on there as far as a like a paddleboard race some other activities uh kind of walk us through the the course up there in the sioux uh, i was kind of looking at the map earlier in the week going wow i gotta turn left turn right uh just walk us through the the water conditions all right so up in the sioux
2: this year the the great lakes are really high which makes the saint mary's river which is the body of water we're actually racing on also very high um and the the place the race is uh, held is at a rotary park so you know the local rotary kind of sponsors and puts on the race um there's a chain of islands up there and they, they mainly have us race around those islands just to keep us out of the shipping channel. Um, and the guy who sets the course up really likes to have us zigzagging around, uh, through those islands, which makes it very confusing for the competitors. I mean, once you've gone through it in the C2, you're usually the C1's all right, but both years they've had the race. We've, we've had a little bit of confusion in the C2 race. So going up there, it's beautiful. The water's crystal clear. Uh, it's really fun because you're doing upstream and downstream kind of back-to-back and, you know, short succession. You're never going one way for too long, but uh, it does make it a little – you you have to know when you go up there, like, we're taping the map in the boat <laughs> 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 and hoping that we get it right. So um, it, it's a little bit more of an adventure than a typical race is, but if you have the right attitude, it, it's a really fun day. Uh, the, the SUP races and um, surf ski that they also have – Seems like they were pretty low attendance this year Mm. Um, not a whole lot going on there but it is a really beautiful location so I'm a little surprised uh, they didn't have more of a turnout for those Uh,
1: yeah there is a a a great photo somebody posted on Facebook I'd I'd like to try to find it it's the the freighter in the background with Maria Schilling and uh, Caitlin Moore and the C2 that's just an amazing shot to think that you're that close to the, to the freighter. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's definitely from, if you've seen the photo, they're not anywhere near the shipping channel, but you, you can look over and you're like, wow, that is a big boat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's let's,
0: let's uh, kind of move away from the race results and let's, uh, let's get, let's dig into a little bit more about Rebecca. So
1: yeah yeah hey uh that on that note you know for those of us that don't know Rebecca walk us through how did you get into paddling
2: Uh, I think a better question would be how would I get out of paddling (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I don't remember uh starting Uh, my parents and my grandparents actually both uh raced uh for a number of years that So I I pretty much grew up with a paddle in my hand. I've always been on the river. I've pretty much my whole life really enjoyed it. I had a couple years, you know, when between the ages of like 10 and 15, where it wasn't my favorite thing, but uh, I've always, always been close to the racing circuit and just enjoyed pretty much all aspects of paddling, Um, canoe camping, racing, ultra distance, not a huge sprinter, but I commend the effort there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now no. um, that's awesome. So, you guys have uh, created your like Hogwild Racing Group. If, if am I correct on that?
2: Yeah, it's uh, so my family owns a farm, and uh, we tend to, for one reason or another, have a pretty solid group of paddlers working and living on the farm at any given time. So, I don't know. A few years back, we I guess actually it was longer than that. We used to have an aluminum uh, business relay in our hometown and uh, we would always put together the hog wild racing team. So we kind of brought that back and, and that's kind of our our brand of our our guys and gals that work and train on the farm.
0: So is that your secret sauce? You got to go work on the farm to be an elite paddler?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think it's so much that, but Uh, it's you know I'm really fortunate with both my parents being such high caliber athletes uh, there's a lot you can learn there and and they've been more than happy to share and mentor other racers so you kind of have this culture of like always bringing the next guy up you know Uh, it's it's not a there's no secrets like you just come out and we want to train and all get better together and and to have a competitive training group for us to train against so um it's we try to have it as inviting as possible. And I think just, we're really encouraging and positive to each other. So I guess if there is a secret, that's it. We help each other out and try to make each other better.
0: Right. Yeah. That's, that's great. And that's why I think, you know, uh, you, your, uh, neck of the woods has, has had, uh, a, a really great history of, uh, top tier competitors throughout the years. And, uh, so that leads me into my next question for you, and I wanted to ask you because you have been like, let's 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 call it out. You are currently the top female paddler out there uh, today, and you have been for a while now. So my question to you is: What separates you, or what makes? What's the difference between yourself? and someone that's, like, you know, in that next group back, Uh what do you think makes the difference between a top-tier paddler and the second- and third-pack paddlers?
2: I think the biggest difference isn't – it's not training load. It's not how in shape you are. Uh, I think a lot of it is just – I guess, technical skill and, and race strategy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think one of the things, uh, yesterday in the C race in the, in the C one, I was chasing my dad down and there's a lot of, in that particular race, you get a lot of, uh, motorboat waves that are kind of, you can surf and, uh, you know, I'm able to surf those and guys that are the same speed as me aren't, or they're not paying attention that, Hey, I can jump on this wave and, and get a little push forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I think there's a lot of things like, it's just a lot of little things like that. It's using that, uh, you know, kind of wave that's just there, um, riding that or, or making sure you're really getting behind the tree on the upstream or making sure when you're coming into a buoy turn that you're positioned so you can make the best turn possible, which may not, if you're going to pack a four or five or six boats, it might not be being the first one there. Um, but just, you know, kind of having that race savvy to, to kind of set yourself up for the best success you can. Uh, I know when racing from the front, I notice a lot when you get someone new towards the front of a race that that's all of a sudden gotten a lot faster. Um, they, they kind of make mistakes where what, what I always tell Danny, actually, we talk about a lot is you don't want to lose your race. So there's a lot of things you can do to screw yourself up like if you're winning you don't need to take the risky line like you take the good line
0: right (laughs) right
2: you don't you know you make sure when you get to the portage that you have a good takeout you don't try to like do it too fast don't panic Mm
0: -hmm. um
2: there's i think a lot of that stuff kind of happens when you get someone new kind of into the group they don't know how to relax and just say okay i did all these things to get there like i don't need to all of a sudden change it up like do do what makes you successful
1: gotcha Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. I, no, I, that that's interesting. You know, it. Uh, I I think the world really is looking for some type of a super secret master plan to success, right? Like Rebecca Davis, the hog wild racing, they got to have like a special ice cream or something that they're eating. Um, it's in the Put water pork. something like that. Really Put it's, pork
2: it's... on your fork. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: It's, it's
0: pork fuel. <laughs> That's Poor what it pork. is. <laughs> We're, our feeling yeah. strategy is wrong. It's bacon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who needs hey, carbs when gotta... you have bacon? I'm looking at my... <laughs>
2: no it's it's pretty much it's just learning those little skill things um and and getting that free speed I mean I think a lot of people waste energy in spots that don't matter or they they don't take advantage of the easy stuff that's there and I I think that's that's a big part of what makes the top guys the, the top guys and it it won't necessarily look the same for every single individual uh like uh some, I mean, if you look at the Canadian racers from Quebec, like they have so much sprint speed that it doesn't really pay for them to grind it out. They'd rather have it come down to a sprint to the finish where if you look, I would say typical of the Michigan paddlers, like we tend to be more grinded out. And and that is something that you can, you know, you can win on. I mean, that's how Andy wins. Right.
0: Um, yep.
2: But you, you just, you kind of have to adjust to, to what your strengths are.
0: Yeah. That's, that's something that uh, I've noticed uh, in, in, I, I train with Ben now, uh, Ben Schlimmer. And one thing that I've also noticed is that it's not how hard you can work, but how, how fast you can make the boat move. So, I can make the boat move as fast as Ben at certain points, but he's making it move fast with less effort. So he's not burning his can, you know, burning his candles out, uh, trying to make the boat move fast. He's making the boat move fast with less effort. So when it comes to the second half of the race, he's able to push hard. Whereas in, you know, like for myself, I would be, you know, just gassed.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's figuring out that efficiency is, is huge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Hey, how many, uh, not, not to like go there, but I got to ask, man, this is your chance to brag. How many national titles, accolades, you know, can't see one titles, things of that nature. Do you actually have like, is there a wall with like all these accolades? Somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> we have, we have a shelf in our, in our uh, weight room with all the, all the prizes and stuff from races, but I think nationals. Yeah, uh, nationals. I've I've had a pretty good run there. I think the last five years, I've won all three classes except one one women's C two title, uh, which isn't necess- isn't due to lack of competition. I, I've had some lucky lucky races and has had some really fantastic partners. So, so that helps a lot. Um, and then can, I think, I think I have at least three C one, I think I have three C one titles I like can, and that's, that race is never a give me. It's, it's definitely one of those, uh, one of those races that early in the season is, is, is a big deal. Uh, it, it's definitely one of the races I get most nervous for throughout the year, partially because it is so early, but it's short enough uh that you you pretty much can go all out uh the whole way so and and it it's a strength course that it, it favors those that are a little bit stronger, so sometimes I don't think that's the way I paddle uh so it it keeps me honest that's for sure yeah, well,
1: I, I don't know about that. There was this one time where I was like close thinking to myself, maybe this is my day shook your head in a funny manner, like "Oh no, Bill," and took off. So there's some strength there.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> how, how focused is your training? Like, bring us through a, a, a common paddling workout or a, a work week for uh, for you or for Hogwild Racing.
2: So I would say we're pretty focused on training. But that being said, you know, paddling isn't my full time job. Like I, I work a normal, you know, forty to 45 hour week, most weeks. And then some weeks it's 50 plus. Um, so that kind of comes first. And then I structure my training around what is happening in my real life. Um, usually Mondays and racing season are always rest days, maybe some yoga Tuesdays. We do kind of more of a middle distance up to maybe an hour and a half paddle. That's pretty steady. Uh, Wednesday is our interval training day. Uh, what we do on our intervals is we scale the amount of minutes of actual work. So uh, like if you're doing a four, four repetitions of five minutes, that would be 20 minutes of work. Um, We scale that number of how many minutes of work we're doing based on where we are in the season. So Mm -hmm. if we're in March, April, even early May, we'll be doing 25 to 30 minutes of work in an interval workout, uh, you know, various distances or, you know, various lengths of time, Uh, This time of the summer, when we've raced two of the three triple crown races and are, you know, we don't really need to develop our fitness so much as just keep our speed, Um, that'll go down to maybe 10 to 15 minutes of actual work in an interval workout. Um, Thursday is usually some kind of skill practice, so we might get out and try some portages, we might do something where we kind of do a group pack riding, practice riding each other or switch ends of the boat um, fridays it's usually an easy paddle before the race or if we 're traveling the far travel day you skip Friday too and then Saturday Sundays on to racing hmm.
0: that is uh that is quite a quite a good setup uh in training so do you when you have a non racing weekend do you do typically do a long paddle and like what's like the longest long paddle that you do to prepare for big races like the like the marathon
2: so long paddles are a bigger part of our season early in the year uh i think that might change a little bit for mike my husband uh in the next year he, he seems to need a little bit more distance training than i do but uh, i i do my longest training run is about say, seven hours in the in the end of april mm-hmm. and then uh, i'll you know, race to 70 end of May and I'll do, uh, a long training weekend about the 4th of July, where I usually do two, five hour days, uh, in prep for the, mm-hmm. Um this time of year, I, you know, going into Schwinn again, we'll have a six hour day. will be our longest day. Uh, I, I actually don't really do anything over two hours between the marathon and, and the classic, uh, just because of the, the load I already have on my body. I'm, I'm really trying to focus on recovering and getting kind of the most out of my workout so I can have a good classy, yep. um, which, you know, distance definitely helps you need that. But after racing, uh, two pretty major ultra distance events already this season, I, I think that's pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with that. So this weekend, like today, we're not having a race. We'll go out and intentionally try to find the biggest waves we can on Lake Marguerite and, uh, bounce around in those for a while so probably only an hour hour and a half gotcha yeah.
1: um, so on, on on top of being a top performer you're also very active with helping promote the sport um, tell us a little bit about your work and your role as president
2: So uh, this is my, I guess, third season as the USCA president. Uh, You serve a two-year term, so I'm in the middle of my second term. Uh, I was just approached by, uh, they have a nominating committee that asked if I would run. And it was a hard decision for me because the USCA can be a little more political than than some of our racing groups. But I, I love the sport. I think there's value in having some what I would say normal distance races about two hours that really showcase some of the best talent in the, in the sport. And I, I also think that the women and youth in the paddling community sometimes get, we're we're coming more into our own, but we don't always get the same stage that the men get. So uh, I think the nationals is a good place to get recognized uh, as, as maybe not the usual top paddler. Um,
1: yeah, hey, so dude, on that note, shout yeah. out to Natalie Kellogg. Great job going out to uh, Warren PA Natalie.
2: <laughs> yeah. Natalie had a, had a great uh, race being our, or one of our Michigan juniors out there. She had a good weekend. Uh, yeah. It's uh, anyway. So I, I kind of looked at, looked at all of that and decided, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not going to grow the nationals a whole lot, but if I can make it a little more inviting uh, and, and, and a little more known in the paddling community. That's something I'd like to tackle. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a really uh, humbling experience and also a really uh, uh, cool experience for me to, to meet paddlers all over that maybe don't have the same competition goals that I do, but are really passionate about the sport.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. How do you, how you, uh, how do you deal with the, the constant like, and maybe it's not that bad, but I've heard the stories of, you know, 17, 17, six, it can't be like this. It's got to be like that, things of that nature. Bill doesn't have that level of patience. Like how do you, how do you keep yourself sane?
2: Uh, one of the things I really focused on uh, in my presidency is, uh, you know, everybody who is involved in the USDA wants more paddlers to come. And they also want to be recognized for their efforts. So those things sometimes are a little tricky to kind of meld together, but I've really just tried to be when someone has an idea or a suggestion, it's like, okay, is this going to invite more paddlers? Like, are we going to, you know, make more people excited about this? Or uh, one of the big changes we made this year is uh, we've, we still recognize all of our age divisions, but when you sign up for the event, you sign up for the, the spec of boat you're racing, not for an age group or a specific classification well that takes your entry process from being about a five-page worksheet to about six lines
1: (laughs) Um, which is a lot more inviting (laughs) yeah
2: yeah so we've done a i've been trying hard to do a lot of things like that like okay how can we be more inviting more inclusive and and streamline at the same time
0: yeah that's something that uh that kind of leads me into the next thing that i wanted to ask you is because you're you're at the top of the sport and you're uh, you know the president of the USCA and you are so involved with the paddling community what do you in your opinion what are like some of the top things that we can do um, that you see that needs to be done to increase our sport because it, I mean we're doing work on in this regards but I, I I just remember when I was going to the 70 when I was like, you know, five and six years old, seeing, you know, over a 100 amateur boats, you know, at the starting line. And, and we don't see that nearly as much anymore. So what do you what, in your opinion, how do we grow the sport?
2: I think. There's definitely a, a point of being inviting to uh, inviting to other groups and other types of paddle sports. Um, you don't necessarily have to be those make those main events or even have necessarily classes for people, but I do think that uh, like the 70 has kind of an open class that runs in the morning. I think that's a really good uh, good thing because it lets people who want to race and maybe don't have the right boat, they can get involved and kind of see what's going on. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, anyone to me on the water, like that's a positive. If you're getting out there, being active, enjoying, uh, our rivers and lakes, I think that's, you know, that's big for our sport and any way we can encourage other people to get out there, even if it's not in our boat, I think it's a good, a, a good starting point. Uh, I think social media is, you know, huge for promoting and growing sports. I think you can see, uh, see the races that are doing a little bit more of that. Uh, For example, the Chattajack down in Tennessee, I'm not sure why it gets such a big draw, but they're having 650 boats uh, this year and they filled up they filled up in seven hours of opening the registration.
1: Yeah, yeah it, um, it, it, It's huge. And that's, you mentioned that you see the social media coverage and you watch it and then you read the rules and you're like, why are these people, but man, I got to do this. Like that's on the list, right? Yeah. yeah
2: I, I think that's huge. And, uh, and then even just at an individual level, you know, we can just being inviting to, to new people and not just like say, Oh yeah. Like, I saw you at a race, good job, but, you know, there's a lot of groups that are kind of doing some clinic work and really trying to get out and be encouraging. And I think that's, when you have the mindset of, I want you to get better, you attract other people. When you have the mindset of, oh, I want you to start paddling so I can beat you, that can be sometimes a little bit intimidating for people. Yeah,
0: for sure. Sure. do you have anything uh I think that covers pretty much everything that we were uh planning to cover uh Bill do you have anything you want to add <laughs>
1: Yeah, not really. The only thing that I would say is uh, next weekend here in Michigan, we have the Mayo First Dam Canoe Challenge. Uh, fantastic race right there at the uh, starts at the campgrounds right at Mayo Dam uh, runs to McKinley. Um, really fun event. There's also a uh, typically a, a mentor race that will take place on uh, Mayo Pond after awards after the C2 race. Um should be a lot of fun and we talked a little bit about the e2 class here in michigan uh, mayo is one of those races that draws a pretty fair amount of e2s in that you see a lot of the the professionals a lot of the top tier paddlers will jump in with brand new new people um or with kids things of that nature which makes it really really fun so you know, if you're, if you're in Michigan and you're kind of thinking about, hey, I want to check out a canoe race, maybe just see how it works, uh, this is a really good one to go to in that, you know, we're post-120. People will take the time to kind of talk to you afterwards. And, you know, there's a lot of great spots to even spectate that race if you're just looking to watch. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Rebecca,
0: thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today on the, on the podcast. And is there anyone – Uh, anything that you'd like to add do you have any uh, sponsorship shout outs you want to give or anything like that
2: Uh, i won't do any sponsorship shout outs today but uh thank you guys so much for having me i really enjoyed getting to chat with you and uh, hopefully you'll invite me back someday oh yeah for sure for
0: sure so all right guys until next time Keep out there, keep paddling, and we will be back with more of your favorite news in the marathon paddling world. Till next time, guys, paddle hard.